the way we really demonstrate credibility as a marketing discipline is in an ability to combine that hard-nosed, data-driven approach with the understanding that you can you you need the long-term brand initiatives in order to really drive consistent um, commercial success. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Dan O'Hara, Marketing Director at Demica. Dan, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Uh, I am good, thank you. It is, uh, the heavens have just opened here in, in Hackney, so um, it's some respite from the intolerable hot weather that we've been having recently. <laughs> um, so look, I've given a very brief introduction to you, um, which really was nothing more than your name and job title, which I'm sure doesn't really do it justice. So... Um, for the benefit of those people tuning in, if you're able just to give us the the brief synopsis, the overview of Dan O'Hara. Sure, sure. Dan O'Hara, the brand. Um, so uh, my name is Dan O'Hara. I am the marketing director at a company called Demica. Demica is uh, around uh, 300 people now. We're a, we're a fintech uh, working in a specific area of finance uh, known as supply chain finance um, and Primarily, what we do is is use uh, some platform technology, which allows corporates and banks to uh, service or uh, access products within the supply chain finance space. So it's it's a space that has been sort of um, slave to uh, legacy technology for uh, lots of years, and you know even in some cases Excel. Uh, spreadsheets, but it's also a space which requires huge amounts of data and computing power and analytics, and so is ripe for sort of modern, intuitive platform technology to just make the whole thing more efficient. And that, that's what, what Demica does. So, I mean, I've been at Demica for uh, nearly about two and a half years now. Um, before Demica, I was at a much uh, bigger company, a company called Refinitiv, also in the sort of financial fintech space, but but that was a company of about 16,000 people. Um, I was running uh, their UKI marketing team um, and, and sat within a broader marketing function. So I was there for about four or five years and went through a few um, rebrands and sort of structural reorganizations. Refinitiv was previously part of Thomson Reuters Group, which is quite well known in that space. And then before I was there, I was at a company called S&P Global, Standard & Poor's, again, finance, sort of financial data. Um, and then before that, at some trade associations. So yeah, about about 12 years working in marketing, pr- primarily in finance and fintech. And um, that's a bit of my sort of journey today. Well, you are in good company in terms of people with a refinitive background being on the podcast. So a, a earlier iteration of this podcast, we had um, Eileen Lynch, who was the, um, the CMO at Refinitiv. Yeah. Um, and we've also had Amy Stankeist, who is now the CMO of LSEG, um, but came through a Refinitiv Thompson Reuters background as well. So as I said, in good company there. Um, so today's conversation, um, I suppose we could, we could keep it, it depends which level we want to go at, but at a very, very top level, there is that age-old philosophical argument around marketing about is it an art or is it a science? Um, but there's also, and I think this is sort of a, a sibling, if you like, of, of that um, discussion, which is that whole 
binary approach which exists within marketing about, well, I'm a brand marketer or I'm a performance marketer. And actually, I feel that that is a little bit reductive to think about in, um, marketing in that, those, those sort of terms and ultimately doesn't contribute to sort of the outcomes that marketers need to drive to. So the provocative truth that I want to give you is that marketers that reduced marketing down to that binary of performance and brand are missing the point. Is that something you agree with? I mean, I think that is a, a very good summary of, of my views, I think. And then there's the, the state of the world today. I think, um, uh, I mean, lots has been written about marketers love a dichotomy, right? They, they love that idea mm. of a, um, an either or situation. Um, and more recently, some good stuff has been written about, you know, um, I mean, Mark Ritson, coined his principle of bothism right it, it shouldn't be either or there, there is there is there is much more opportunity when you look at things as um additive or in combination or look at things on a spectrum and i think the the performance and brand as you said sort of an analogous to the art and science of marketing is the perfect example of that for me like i think you know like i said i started in marketing about 12 years ago 13 years ago and that was sort of on the upswing of performance marketing. So I, I would say roughly the last 10, the, the, the 10, first 10 years of my career, eight to 10 years of my career, performance marketing was just in this massive ascendancy. So, you know, that ability of marketers suddenly to be like, we can show some data that demonstrates that we're not just a, we're not just a, a uh, a budget center. We're not just a cost center. We can show data which proves the impact we're having was grasped so passionately by marketers. You can understand why, right? They mm. spent decades being looked at as, you know, uh, worse, a cost center, a cost center at best, maybe the coloring in department. Like, and so they had this data which justified it. But then, and so performance marketing, you know, you know, went to where it's gone to, and and you know, it's it, it's it's a huge driver of marketing behaviours now, and 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 also obviously revenue for some of the the, the businesses that serve up um, those channels. Last couple of years, it's been interesting to see that sort of flipped on its head, right, and a real backlash against the principles of performance marketing and brand marketing returning to the fore and everything that's being written at, at the moment, uh, you know, both on the B2C and B2B by, uh, side uh, around, uh, you know, how you can look at, how you need to move away from a focus on immediate ROI, you know, how you need to move, move away from a focus on R ROAS, you know, ROAS, and how you need to think more long-term, you know, the B2B Institute in, in my space on the B2B side has done a lot of work on that side. And I think, that that's great and it's refocusing marketers on really what intuitively we know is the real impact of marketing right long-term gradual changes in behavior which are the result of a multiplicity of of individual points that gradually get someone towards a decision to actually like your product a little bit more than one of your competitors so like much more intuitively logical and makes sense but, and this is sort of to circle back to your point, I think the challenge is that we've got to stop swinging wildly mm -hmm. between these two because in, in, in effect, the way we really demonstrate credibility as a marketing, uh, as a marketing discipline is in an ability to combine that 
hard-nosed, data-driven approach with the understanding that you can you you need the long-term brand mm. and uh, initiatives in order to really drive consistent um, commercial success. And I, I want to get on to that that intersection that you've just described there, but just just very quickly, where do you feel that we are on that? journey because I, I agree and I think that the the work by and I think you're probably referring to sort of work like by people Peter Field as part of the B2B um, LinkedIn Marketing Institute have yeah. done uh, and so we were seeing a little bit of recovery in terms of understanding the role of brand but of course we are now how, or have been in this sort of a situation where there is ever greater scrutiny on budgets because of the macroeconomics mm-hmm. where do you feel we are on that that journey and is the balance actually tipping back towards performance or have people actually managed to sort of stay strong despite those headwinds they're facing uh, i mean it's a, it's a really good point i was i was uh, speaking on a panel uh, you know uh, about a month ago um where we were responding to some data. Um, they they did a, the organisation did a survey of fintech B two B marketers, and broadly it was done. I think it was done at the start of the year, maybe before conditions got a little bit worse and tighter. They were already tightening up in terms of the the, the technology markets a little bit. Um, and the the point was exactly that that everyone's been so confident in moving into this brand long term creative. Sp- invest in your brand over over a longer time period as that's great when the taps when the money taps are on but as they turn off and as it turns into more of a trickle um i'm ironically talking about that as i can hear the rain uh i I know apologies yeah (laughs) Uh, the trickle the the flood the rain turns into a trickle um you um does do do people get nervous and go back to uh performance marketing which i is is your question and i think my sort of my my response would be i think my nervousness is that marketers have sort of forgotten a little bit how to go back to that you know uh performance marketing model and 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 they are they're now challenged as the tap gets a bit tighter and they're told again that they need to demonstrate the return on investment they they're 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 struggling a bit because i mean to make to make a really sort of simple and short point once you've gone to your management team or your board and said attribution doesn't really work we don't need to we don't need to measure short-term attribution i'm not going to give you cost per lead numbers because it's all nonsense we're going to invest in long-term brand marketing when the taps get a bit tighter and you want to go back and say oh no but actually i i can show you some roi please don't take away my money that becomes really hard so you need to sort of maintain a little bit of that 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 ability to demonstrate um you know commercial impact short-term commercial impact in order to make sure that as 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 the budgets you know as budgets get cut, your functions aren't the ones that they're looking at first. Indeed, and look clearly, there's always going to be a slight oscillation depending on what's going on in the market conditions, and, that, and that's perfectly appropriate. It shouldn't be a one size fits all. But now that we have, you know, we we went all the way over to performance, we started to come back to sort of brand. There's a little bit of a check there. From your perspective, what what is the equilibrium that we should be striving towards within B two B marketing specifically, and what should we be measuring? Uh, very good question. So, I think the equilibrium. I mean, I think it's so contextual, right? Like, mm. I think as a if you're a marketing leader in an organization it's it's almost your job to work that out all i would say is that 
there is there should be a balance but i think you've got to work out depending on a number of factors you know what's your current business position like external market factors you know what's your current business position where are your competitors how are you how are you performing in terms of your your current metrics you know where where are you trying to get to long term as a business in terms of your strategy so those sort of commercial drivers but then also and this is a big thing for me at the moment is think of your internal stakeholders because i think for a marketing leader your primary job really or a big part of your job is getting the buy-in and support of your management team. That means they they support what you're doing and mm-hmm. they're, they're giving you enough budget. Because if you don't have any budget or any buy-in from your management team, everything else is a bit academic. You can be the most effective creative marketer in the world, but if you don't if 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 you don't have the budget to execute on that or the resource to execute on that, then you're not really going to get anywhere. So I think a big thing for me about demonstrating effectiveness and thinking about some of the more data-driven performance marketing side of things, your your audience for some of that is internal, really, because then that's what gets you budget. That's what gets you investment. That's what allows you, buys you the credibility to engage in some of this more longer-term brand-building creative stuff. And I'm always fascinated, because I mean, like, stakeholder management is, it, it's a ubiquitous in whatever job you're doing, but certainly within the context of marketing where it's about going to get budget and you know showing why there is going to be that return on investment, why that is sort of worthwhile. I'd be really interested to sort of hear from your perspective when you sort of start. I don't know when your financial year year works, but whenever that we went into that sort of planning phase, how did you almost sort of strategically identify who the st- key stakeholders were? How did you identify what their priorities were and almost sort of build that case? Um, for the budget that you secured, bearing in mind what we're talking about here, which is that tension between brand building and that more sort of ROI-based attribution. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the approach to that, in a way, stakeholder management is not dissimilar to best practices in marketing, because basically what you're doing in both instances is trying to persuade people of something. Mm. And and I, I, I follow sort of similar approaches in that sense, which is, if I'm only starting to engage with stakeholders re- around some of the themes that I want to push for my budget around the cycle of budget planning, I'm already screwed. You know, mm-hmm. I need to be, that needs to be a constant thing that I'm doing. So, I mean, in my organization, it's relatively straightforward, the stakeholders I need to be partnering with because I report into the chief commercial officer who sits on the management team and on the management team, you've obviously got the CEO and and then you've got a number of others and and engaging with most of that 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 group is is sensible particularly leaning into the cfo the chief product officer uh and um and and like i said obviously the chief commercial officer as as my manager um uh so i think the stakeholder map is is relatively easy what what's more important and and just takes more focus is that you know, constant, either explicit or implicit uh, interaction with them to drive towards what I need. So, you know, to to take a um, a, a specific example of what I'm talking about, um, uh, when I joined the organisation about a, a year, two, like I said, two and a half years ago, about a year and a half in, 
we built the function from, you know, I was the only marketer and we had about um, five people in the team and we'd, we'd increased the budget a, a fair amount. So there was a bit of an internal narrative building. Um, and I heard my boss say it a few times that, oh, we've invested a lot in marketing. You know, we're investing a lot. We've spent a lot of money on marketing. And I had to do quite a lot of work that wasn't like, you know, build a presentation or wasn't anything, but more just influencing work to make it clear that you might have increased your investment in, in marketing from where it was at to where it is now. But relative to lots of other comparators, your investment in marketing is still not where it needs to be. And, and, and driving that perception almost was, was just a, a case of constant conversations planting seeds, explaining things, lots of little things that over time sort of paint a picture of something. That means that when it comes around to budget cycle and planning time, yes, you're then sort of putting all those ideas down on paper somewhere and, and, and presenting it in a way that, 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 that is, is clear and, and consistent and aligns to what the business needs to see. But the themes that you're drawing out, the picture that you're drawing is one that you've already been painting for, for a, to sort of mix my metaphor, to, to, is, is one that you've already been creating for a long time. So everyone's already slightly on board. I mean, and, and that, that, that I found very effective. So when you said that the, you had to, there's the, the argument that there's been investment in, in marketing, but you said there needed to be more. Was specifically, was that investment in brand or is that investment in marketing as an entirety? Um, I think in, in our instance, it was investment in brand because, uh, in, in our organization, and I think it probably will, I would imagine it's, it's, it's probably quite consistent in a lot of organizations, I guess, because of the prevalence of performance marketing over the past 10, like I said, 10, 15 years, mm -hmm. you've, you've got people at quite senior levels who actually are quite attuned to the principles of cost per lead and ROI and, and other sort of measures quite common in performance marketing who aren't marketers. So my boss, like I said, chief commercial officer, not a marketer, CEO, not a marketer, but, but they, they would understand some of those metrics. So they're much more comfortable driving investment, supporting increased investment behind those. Where it takes a bit more persuasion is on the side where they're less familiar, and and they and uh, as as we've sort of talked about, where it's a little bit more challenging to attribute short term, um, short term benefits. So that again has been a case of sort of planting seeds, building a narrative, explaining stories, and 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 then trying to find ways to link back that longer term investment to some 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 hard measures, some hard data. And I'm always, you talked about, they took a bit more persuasion and you also spoke earlier around the sort of the work that the B2B, um, is it B2B Marketing Institute or B2B Institute, the B2B LinkedIn Institute, one, that we yeah. the B2B Institute, so that's what, that's what it is. And, you know, one of the seminal pieces of work there was to take the sort of the, the long and the short of it, which was a B2C one and apply that to B2B. And there was a big case that was made that for those brands that um, invested in excess share of voice during recessionary periods, um, outcompeted the the market when we we emerge, and that's that whole big argument for why you should invest in brand. Uh, it makes sense to me. Obviously, I'm within that sort of environment. I'm just really interested if you did use it. How did that play when you were speaking to your colleagues who weren't necessarily from a marketing background? Did they accept that as 
good, strong, intuitive logic or was there skepticism? I'm just really interested how you use different things to build, build the case. I mean, I think what you said there about using different things has been the key. Like mm. I've, I've tried, and this is basically a, a test and learn principle of throughout my career of, of learning how to try and influence senior stakeholders to basically give you more money. Um, I, uh, I, I think the key was if I just presented data from the B2B Institute on its own, mm. there is that skepticism there because it's, it's obviously supporting a case and it's, it's academically well-researched, but unless you're in that environment, unless you're, it's something that will resonate with marketers if they read it just on its mm -hmm. own. But outside that, as you say, there's a bit of a, takes it, it's a bit of a, they're, they're framed a bit against it. So what I've found is use that as one of your sort of example points, use that as one of your references but really build a case based on, okay, what data do we have within our own organization? What data can we use in terms of our own performance as it is? What data can we use? What can we gather from, from competitors? And what, 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 what can we build in terms of relating that to, as you say, stuff that they understand intuitively? So, you know, one of the, I mean, I, I've, I, I've talked about this before, but I think, um, I, I just found it so useful. Um, was one of the data points that I found really compelling to support this case for increased brand investment was um, a uh, using Google Search Console. Um, so, I mean, many people listening to this might all be super familiar with it. So, uh, uh, apologies if it's uh, if it's uh, teaching grammar suck eggs, but I um, but. You know, my background was, you know, a bit of a marketing generalist. I, I, I don't have a background as a digital marketing person. So my, up until a year, year and a half ago, my my appreciation for Google Search Console was probably more limited. But but you know, as as I've run the whole function now, I, I've I've had to. Uh, I have a guy leading digital marketing for us, but it's it's sort of on me to make sure I understand it enough to to manage that for effectively. And so I've got more familiar with Google Search Console. And then the ability to follow go Google Search Console data and use that as a proxy for brand awareness is super strong. So, I mean, again, for those not familiar, Google Search Console is just you, anyone can use it. You can plug in your website, you can you can and 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 see, you know, how many searches uh, or what's the organic performance on Google of your website and the sort of the. The next thing, the follow-on from that that makes it interesting for brand is you can see what proportion of your uh, queries going to your site are from organic search. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, are from branded search. So as in someone in our instance typing Demica or, and, and finding our website or typing Demica supply chain finance platform or you know Demica solutions. Those would all count as branded search. In our case, that proportion of, of searches is, is, is very high. Um, and you can see how then that spikes around times where you're spiking your, uh, you, you have big press releases or you're spiking your amount of, uh, of media spend. Um, and that ability then to show our management team and, and show others in the business that, okay, when we invest in this stuff, we get more organic visitors to our website. And then we've also done a piece of work which says, well, actually, we know that organic visitors to our website are 
the highest quality, they stick around on the website the longest, they convert to leads at the highest rate, and those leads are the highest quality because they convert to opportunities mm -hmm. at the highest rate. So you, you can start to do that work all the way through the funnel of, okay, investment in brand starts here. It shows us this data point in terms of Search Console, which shows us this data point in terms of our website, which shows us this data point in terms of stuff that starts to you know resonate with, with mm -hmm. other people in the business commercially. Um, so, so it's just an example of some data which we used in combination with some of the more sort of, I suppose, research-driven third-party pieces out there to, to, to try and build a case for that. I mean, well, thank you, firstly, because I think it's, it's, it's very simple how you set that out practically in terms of, of utilizing it. Um, and also, I think the, the important thing is how you then you, you cross-reference that data. So, because look, in itself, a load more traffic doesn't mean anything. But as you said, once you actually cross-reference that with the fact that, well, organic traffic tend to be the ones that convert, they hang around for the longest. I can imagine that is absolutely when the, the penny dropped, so to speak. So clearly that is, uh, a, you know, in conjunction with the B2B Institute and I'm sure a number of other sort of quantitative factors, that's a quantitative measure of how you make the case for brand very successfully. But I'm also interested in how people make the case qualitatively. And it's, you know, you talked about sort of thinking of your stakeholders as your target audience. And we know that we've got to win minds, but we've also got to win hearts, which segues nicely to our house question, if you like. Which was, when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing? Now, it doesn't have to be B2B. Great if it is. But a piece of marketing, an advert, a piece of creative that really moved you on a deep emotional level that you really felt in your guts. Um, so, I mean, I think I, I would have to pick some sort of B2C advertising. I am quite an emotional guy <laughs> and i think the advertising you my my wife regularly finds me uh getting slightly weepy at like advertising <laughs> breaks uh and and so i mean as much as i'd love to pick a, a b2b example i think if i'm honest there there are just some great ones in in the b2c space and i think i mean funny like in the, the ones that spring to mind are all ones and i think it speaks actually it's a good it's a good speaks to what all marketers should be thinking about because the ones that spring to mind for me are ones that resonate with my own personal life so all, all marketing always you should be trying to show someone that you know them that you understand them that you can think like they think and that you can help them you you, you know how to make them happy i guess um and a couple of ones there's a there's an advert for right move uh recently which um uh, you know, talks about um, a couple sort of going on their journey to finding a house. And, you know, so we, me and my wife, we, 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 we started a, a home relatively recently. To, uh, so, so that one really resonates and, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, it looks off into the future basically and, and goes back to the moment that they found the house online and, and it shows where their life's going to go. And, and, and that, that, that sort of uh, looking forward thing gets me. And, and on a similar note, you know, I, I recently had, well, not that recently, actually. He's now over two years old. So I'm still, I'm still in the it's early right. phases. That's, that's still acceptable. <laughs> I'm still in the early phases of, of having a young son. So I think any any advertising at the moment that, that, that plucks at the heartstrings in that sense, John Lewis, you know, a bit of a cliche for a marketer to mention John Lewis, but they did an excellent one recently. Um, and again, that that hits me. So I think the 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 lesson that I, I would take from those is, you know, if you can show people that you know them and and in a b2b context as well what are their pain points what makes them happy what's a good day what's a rubbish day 
what what makes them smile that's the stuff that cuts through and gets them um and and it was certainly gets me it gets uh, even talking about it you're getting me a little bit I, I can i can i can hear well i think it's really i mean i'm i'm well probably in about six weeks time or so i'm i'm going to have my first first child and from oh when i was speaking when i was speaking <laughs> to people um on on the podcast it seems that parents are a very receptive audience to emotional advertising. So I will report back on how <laughs> how I've, uh, my emotional triggers change in, in a few weeks' time, which would be great. Uh, you'll um, be crying at the adverts just I, I like know, me. I know, I know. Well, I'll, I'll try my best, but I'll have the Kleenex there just in case. But um, Dan, it's been it's been great to to chat um, with you. I mean, hopefully we're going to see probably some emotionally driven advertising from Demica. But if we return back to sort of the the main part of the the conversation, which I know we sort of we spoke about that sort of tension between brand marketing and performance marketing, and ultimately I think that we probably agree there's context dependent, and it's a bit about sort of combining the two. But I think the big takeout for me is about how you build your case. Now, the first thing is about understanding the audience you're trying to influence um, and being able to tell it in a language that they understand, probably take them in a similar way, show them what their journey looks like and what that future state looks like. But I also think it's about using data, but not trying to overcomplicate it, using things which are simple and intuitive and just has that aha moment as you set out in terms of using the Google Search Console data there. So anyway, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much for joining on the, the podcast. And yeah, I, uh, I look forward to um, joining you in um, feeling unbridled emotions when I watch advertising on TV. Thanks very much, Ben. It's been great. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.